Welcome to the Sugar Science, where our mission is to connect with type 1 diabetes researchers and spotlight their research and celebrate their discoveries. I um, have the distinct pleasure of speaking with Dr. Emily Sims today. Welcome, Emily. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background, what brought you to type 1 diabetes uh, research, and where you are now? Yes, thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, so I'm Emily Sims, and I am actually a pediatric endocrinologist. So I take care of kids with type 1 diabetes. So kind of as part of my training, I got involved um, with the Diabetes Research Center at Indiana University um, and just loved it. And um, so now I have um, my own kind of research program that's focused on um, basic and translational diabetes research. And, and what we're really interested in is um, beta cells and understanding how beta cell dysfunction contributes to diabetes development. And as part of that, um, I've gotten involved in TrialNet uh, or type 1 diabetes TrialNet, um, which is one of the funnest parts of my job. Um, I use a di uh, TrialNet center. Um, and so we get to participate in their studies. Um, but also, I've been really interested in analyzing metabolic data regarding beta cell health and insulin secretion so that we can see, you know, are there ways that that can help us better understand who develops type one diabetes and also understanding treatments for type one diabetes. Yeah. It's a real, a real intersection, a great place to be. Indiana is, is a known sort of hub for all this kind of research. The intersection of clinical and uh, academic research is a real powerhouse. Thanks for saying that. I think we have a really great group. It's a really fun uh, group of people that, um, you know, it's great to collaborate with. And I think the people are, are part of a, a big part of the reason that I really like being there. That's great. Can we talk a little about this uh, amazing paper? Uh, you were first author, uh, Tepluzumab improves and stabilizes beta cell function in antibody positive high risk individuals. Super exciting paper. I think the entire diabetes uh, research community is kind of you know, celebrating, you know, it's, 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 it's really moving the ball forward. Thanks for saying that. I'm also really excited about this paper. I would be remiss not to kind of acknowledge that there are a lot of people that collaborated on it too. So of course, Kevin Harold is the senior author and, you know, this is the next step and in, in years and years of his work um, in this area. Um, and uh, additionally, there are a lot of really smart folks at the um, TrialNet Coordinating Center um, who helped with the analysis um, and the immune tolerance network. Um, so it was really a, a true collaboration, but we are super excited about it. And I think, yeah, I mean, really exciting things in the world of um, disease modifying therapies and type 1 diabetes. You know, let's just sort of walk through the methodology. Okay. Um, so in this paper, you know, I think a lot of us are familiar with the, the big paper that was published in 2019 in the New England Journal that showed that um, a single 14-day course of teplizumab IV infusion was able to delay type 1 diabetes by about two years in people who are at really high risk. So these are people who were identified through trial net screening. Um, so there were um, relatives of people with type 1 diabetes. They were multiple autoantibody positive, and they were already dysglycemic. So they're, they're already kind of teeter tottering on the edge to developing disease. Um, and so of course that trial showed a successful effect to delay diabetes. And here, um, we had the opportunity to kind of test the idea if, if that, um, successful prevention would also be associated with metabolic changes in insulin secretion. Um, even though those people didn't have diabetes yet. So we were able to look at 
the um, metabolic data, including the glucose data and the C-peptide data from the oral glucose tolerance tests that were performed during the course of the study, um, and then also relationships with changes in immune cells and participants in the study. Yeah, so you really examined a lot of different, you know, parts, I guess, of the disease in, in one fell swoop. And so can you talk about, so what were your findings? Let's go through them. Oh, there were so many great findings. I, so I'll try to be not, not go too long. Uh, <laughs> but um, so the first Take thing, all the time you need, we want to hear it all. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you. Uh, the first thing is that when we look just over the entire course of the study, um, teplizumab seems like on average that it decreased glucose levels on the OGTTs and it increased C-peptide levels in people on treatment. And then, you know, an average is just kind of a picture of the whole time. So we also looked at um, C-peptide relative to drug dosing. And so it was really cool because we also had data on participants before they enrolled in the study. Um, and so if you look at both groups before the study started, you know, these are really high risk individuals and they were both losing C-peptide over time. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's, that continues to happen in the placebo group. If you watch their C-peptide over time, but if you look at the C-peptide and people who were treated with teplizumab, there's this really striking reversal where the levels start going up at the three month and then the six month visit. And then they're at by six months, they're significantly different, both from baseline and that group and also from the placebo group. Yeah. Very striking. And I wonder, you know, was this just sort of po the, these data were just popping out right away? Or was this sort of like after looking, you know, back over the data after the fact? I mean, obviously, it was a clinical trial. So you had to had to have your sort of blinders on. Yeah, you know, I think that um, it, it was at first, it was a little bit of a challenge to figure out exactly how we were going to look at this data. Um, because the way that this trial was designed was as um, a time to event study with the kind of main endpoint being people are going to get diabetes. And so um, it was a little bit challenging the approach because different people were followed for different amounts of time. And once they got diabetes, they didn't necessarily continue with oral glucose tolerance test monitoring. Um, and so we didn't have the the same amount of data on everybody. So we chose to kind of approach it in a few different ways. And when we did look at those graphs relative to treatment, man, the difference is really obvious and striking. And we're like, yes, this is so exciting. It is very exciting. And it's a win. I mean, it's a win from a scientific standpoint, but also for as a clinician, right, you must have felt really excited about the people you treat and how this could impact them and their lives. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, maybe not everybody would choose to do immunotherapy if, if they find out they're at high risk for type one diabetes, but I think it's really great to have an option where we're actually doing something to modify the underlying cause of disease. Right. So yeah, I think it's really exciting. And additionally, you know, I think in the prevention space, I mean, this is, this treatment is kind of the, the first big, you know, home run that we've had for a while. I don't want to say home run, but the first big success, you know, that we've had I, for a while. I will say home run, but I think it's, <laughs> I think it is really, um, so when you talk about personalized medicine, cause we know that there are many roads to type one and also some nuances in manifestation of type one, <clears throat> are you going to further look at, you know, dose strategy or, you know, different cohorts and who might be best you know, served by something like this. Is that what's, is that what's ahead for you and your team? Yeah, I think this is a really great question. And 
100%. I think that long-term is going to be what we need to do for, for these approaches. So, you know, it seems like people who um, get re- to plizumab who respond the best are people who have really active disease, right? So I think, you know, potentially like we could do metabolic monitoring um, or monitoring for markers of beta cell stress, like that pro-insulin to C-peptide ratio that we checked. And, you know, that way identify people who are kind of really ready to respond to treatment who would really benefit the most from it. So I think that's one way that we could have a more precision approach to therapy and same thing with repeated dosing, you know, this therapy was only one course and it had a pretty good response, but, um, you know, when we followed people over time, their C peptide, you know, they had this big increase kind of right after treatment. And then it kind of stabilized until like about six months before they progressed to disease. So I think it would be really great, you know, if we could follow people over time metabolically and see when they have more active disease again, and then potentially get repeated dosing. And then another thing is it seemed like they still had beta cell stress. So beta cell function seemed like it improved. We, we looked at several markers of beta cell health and measurements of beta cell function. Um, but, but there was kind of ongoing stress based on that pro-insulin biomarker. And I think, you know, for people who have evidence of that potentially, you know, they could benefit from a combination therapy with something that targets beta cell health. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're going to try to sort of like approach the finesse now, you know, finesse your treatment, uh, basically, and understand who is your, your patient, who are the, co- the cohorts you're dealing with, and, you know, how to best interface with them. I wonder when we talk about the patient uh, cohort that you had in the paper, or you talk about in the paper, these people were, you know, well on their way. But what about this idea of gaining um, people who just have the genetic predisposition, don't have a biomarker, I mean, and thinking about really shutting things down before you even get uh, beta cell stress or anything like that. Is that a window of opportunity? Have you guys thought about it? Yeah, this is a great question. And the answer is complicated. So, you know, for sure, it would be great if you had could target people when they have more remaining beta cell mass, right? And so then potentially, effects could be even longer. And I think um, one thing that I think that this study brings up is, you know, should we be thinking about screening people more in the general population, as opposed to kind of just targeting relatives, because, you know, there's, there was lots more people that we could be targeting. But I think you have to be a little bit careful if you think that the drug is going to be most responsive to people with active disease, right? Because you want to make sure you're targeting somebody when the drug is actually going to have an effect. Um, And so if you kind of get too early before any, any process has started, then, then maybe that's not going to be the case, right? It's something we, we haven't really tested yet. Um, but I think it's a theoretical thing that you got to consider when you're thinking about expanding to other populations. Now, you know, we've talked about, um, we have this staging system of type one diabetes now, right. And in this trial targeted people in stage two, but we know that there are some people in stage one that maybe are at higher risk. Like not everybody in stage one is exactly the same. And, you know, you can identify metabolic markers, for example, that kind of identify people who are at bigger risk there. So potentially we could kind of scoop, scoop back and, and target people at that earlier stage. But I think, like I said, we're going to have to be really careful to make sure we're, we're picking people that we're pretty confident the drug is going to work in to, to kind of balance that risk benefit ratio. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really going to be a fine line. That's I I see that. I do wonder, you know, if you wanted to talk a little bit about this 
this sort of newer concept of remission for type one diabetes. I mean, that's really interesting, right? Because this prior to this, it was like, okay, they have type one diabetes and here's insulin and, you know, they are going to be treating themselves. But this, this concept of remission, you know, comes sort of from the, uh, I guess we would say from the oncology world, but also there's some remission in autoimmune diseases. MS comes to mind. This concept of remission comes up with teplizumab, you know, it's prolonging sort of remission before they enter DKA or type one, uh, full, full blown type one. What about the idea of, you know, we talked a little bit about this prolonging remission and maybe giving to these high risk people who are right on the edge, you know, every six months, a shot of teplizumab or something. I mean, I don't know. Have people thought about this or are they talking about this? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting point. I mean, we know that this kind of remission is, t- is possible in type one diabetes because it's what happens when people go into their honeymoon period, right? When you start insulin. So exactly. for, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's capability early on in the process for those beta cells to have, you know, some sort of recovery. And, and we know that, you know, people who um, kind of present earlier on in that natural history. So like adults presenting that have more residual C peptide and that kind of thing tend to have a longer honeymoon period. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think for sure the kind of, if you target people in the prevention space, then yeah, you can have a, a much longer remission. And yeah, I think ideally, like we will be able to figure out a dosing regimen that either like involves repeated doses of something like teplizumab or, you know, a combination of like an induction plus a maintenance kind of regimen, kind of like with cancer um, therapy, you know, where we can monitor people and identify, you know, when that relapsing remitting process is starting up again and, and when they need retreatment so that we can prolong that kind of remission period. Yeah, that's very exciting. And it really, you know, it, it, just as a shout out to sort of uh, young researchers, postdocs, et cetera, this is a really interesting space to jump into, to really discern, you know, what, what this might take. And it, there's a lot of work to be done, right? Yeah, I totally agree. And, and I think another thing, another reason that this study is important in terms of practically kind of understanding more of these things is that I think we need to be thinking about metabolic variables as endpoints in the prevention space, just because we're going to be able to test a lot more like dosing regimens, drugs, that kind of thing. If we're looking at metabolic endpoints, which we see change a lot sooner than something like T1D prevention, right? I mean, this study took so long to implement. It's just practically a little bit challenging. (laughs) Yeah. I think now that you've got the groundwork done though, maybe you can kind of piggyback on top of that. And, and, you know, maybe the FDA will be more, you know, fast tracky about it. I don't know. I wondered if you had any um, thoughts on this whole, you know, prevention bio is bringing the vaccine, the CVB uh, Coxsackie virus to bear. And I wondered if you had any thoughts like, okay, what about a regime of the vaccine? And then it, for those at highest risk, a little teplimazeb, you know, later, I don't know. I mean, I'm just sort of throwing things out here. This is total brainstorm and, you know, could be. Yeah. Just- I'm excited to see the results of, you know, those vaccine studies. I think, you know, for sure, it makes sense to, to combine different mechanisms of targeting the immune system to get the best result, right? And, and so, yeah, I'm optimistic that we'll be able to take combination per- approaches like that. Well, maybe if they get that vaccine and it works, then maybe they'll, they'll be very, they'll, they'll be less people or less children who will need the 
typically yeah. do them. So we'll see. It's all working. I think, you know, all hands are on deck. It seems like a very exciting time in this space. And it's important to give a shout out to scientists because I know that people, scientists and clinicians are working so hard at this. And I, I really think that that needs to be celebrated and acknowledged that that um, you guys are on the front lines here and you're, you're really working to take down a disease that's been around for, you know, uh, plaguing people for like, you know, thousands of years, but, you know, we've had insulin for a hundred years, but uh, it's time to really uh, move past that, I think. And I think you're doing it. Thank you for saying that. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I, I feel like this is a really rewarding career. I mean, it's a really rewarding space to work in. I just, I don't know. I find so much inspiration and in, in patients and trial participants and their family. This, this community has just been, I don't know. I'm kind of getting goosebumps talking about it. <laughs> I mean, it's really, I think it makes it, it easy, you know? Yeah. Well, that's so great to say. I know that from the patient standpoint, um, just sort of in looking at some of the social media with the patients um, and their discussions, the parents and their discussions, they're, they're quite stressed, you know, and so uh, there's some sort of, oh, when will this be, you know, there's not enough resources, there's not enough, you know, research and what's going to happen, is it ever going to be cured, this sort of thing. And I think that, you know, in, in having them understand that scientists like yourself and many others are working really hard in the space uh, that they can just get a little hope. And I think that goes a long way. So uh, thank you so much for talking with us. Um, I can't wait to see what you and your team do next. And, um, you know, thanks so much for, for everything you're doing um, for type 1 diabetes. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. 